That's the end of the talk. I, I record the aftermath now. I don't know if we talk before the talk. But you know, I don't know if you're recovered or not, but everyone's recovered from something. They really are. Yeah. I, I really believe they should start as Spiritual Seekers Anonymous also, you know, where the, you'd have to swear off retreats for a year. <laughs> you can only see one teacher every three months. You have to return all your library books. <laughs> have a book sale at your house. Get rid of all that. <laughs> Cancel all your Buddhist magazine for subscriptions. <laughs> and just sort of sit with what is, eh? See what happens. Don't be, don't be sneaking into the rehab any CDs or, you know, what, have your little MP3s on. <gasps> Another teacher. No, no, just sort of sit with what is. And then maybe you realize it isn't, you know? Seriously. You may realize what is ain't. <laughs> but while you're trying to make it what isn't, it is. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hi. You want to get some more? There's two chairs yeah. right there. They were waiting for you. So everyone is sort of in recovery, right? Sort of what I'm, yeah, speak from them. So recovery, alcoholism is just an extreme example of self-centeredness. Really, everyone is suffering from the same basic uh, position. Their mind is centered on self, yeah? So... And then the self-centeredness interprets and gives meaning to everything that we run into today. It gives meaning when we think about our past, it, it's the one that gives meaning to it. When we think about the future, it's what gives meaning to the future. Yeah. When we think about now, well, we never really think about now, we think now. And when if we ever get to the point of thinking about now, we really don't care that much about it. It's always bookended with past and future. So you can never separate self-centeredness, you can't separate the system, you can't take the past out of the present, and you can't take the future out of the present. Because the, the present is just its platform to entertain the past and the future. That's all it's doing, yeah? So the mental process is using now to entertain there and then. That's what it does. Because if it doesn't entertain there and then, if it doesn't use the thought system that speak thinking about there and then, it can't come up with you. Yeah? It needs not just a physical mirror when you wake up in the morning in the bathroom, it needs a mental mirror. And the mental mirror is the past and the future. So it pictures you somewhere else at some other time, and it thinks about that. And because you believe it's you, or about you, you tend to go there. Your attention goes there. So your attention is enslaved or bonded to this idea of being a self. And that's what it is, an idea. And that idea has to be reinforced by other ideas. Yes? Because if the ideas spun out and you were left with that idea, you would see it as not you. Yeah? But to get to that, it's sort of like uh, there's layers and layers of ideas to sort of protect or, or uh, buffer the one idea from being really questioned. Yes? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't want that to be open. It wants the shell of other old ideas, beliefs, concepts to hide that. That It's like the emptiness of the middle of an onion. Yeah? There's nothing there. So. 
That's called a system of thought and interpretation, self-centeredness. And I would say our attention and interest has been captured by that. It wasn't always so. I think we grew into it. I believe when we were kids, if you weren't in an abusive situation where the reliance on self may have come up faster, you know, so you would have relied on your mind. If you were in not such an abusive situation, there was a certain sense of freedom when you were a kid. You know, there was an immediacy, there was spontaneity. Uh, when you were doing something, you were doing it because you hadn't thought it, it, you could have been doing something else. <laughs> that, op- that possibility hadn't entered my life, or the idea of time hadn't entered my life, so I wasn't worrying when I was playing, will I be playing next week? I didn't have all that stuff. We grew into that, yeah? And what happened is the mind grew into it and then the attention and interest followed because how that sucks our interest and attention is it's about you, yeah? And that's the sticking point. No matter how much you work on it, if it's still about you, then all the working may not serve you. Because all it will do is will emphasize or reinforce the sense of a you, yeah? Now a better you. So when it's all about you, well, check it out. (laughs) We're pretty good examples of it all being about us. Produces a sickness of mind, yeah? A mind like a marathon runner is stuck in a closet. It's running around a very small oval and it's driving itself crazy. Boredom, fucking unbelievable boredom. All this stuff is going on because it's got to be let loose, you know? So in the recovery it says, hey, you know what will happen if you sincerely take this position of reliance on something greater than self? Because if if you look at uh, the idea that we were powerless, and if you look at power, if you ever look, even out on the outside, the only thing power respects is other power, really. It doesn't respect morals or virtue or anything like that, really, does it? When you see power being expressed, let's say, on a government or a worldwide level, all they were, all it's concerned about is power, other power. So we needed to find a power greater than self. That was the only solution. Self was never... The idea of this, of being a self, if that parasitical tendency, is not going to be convinced to change its, its stripes. It's a parasitical tendency. It doesn't look out for the benefit of the host. It looks at the host as a way of living or expressing here. Yeah? That's all it does. It doesn't... It's not here to make you great. <laughs> <laughs> it could care less if you're great or bad as long as that obsession is kicked in because it feeds off of it, yeah? So a guy at this meeting today said, I just, I, I, I want to know who I am. I said, it, it would probably be better to know who you're not. <laughs> <laughs> because when you discover who you are, you better follow with another statement, I'm not that. <laughs> because if you find out who you are, and you take yourself to be that, that's selfing. <laughs> when you find out who you are, you realize I'm not that, that's the freedom from self.
<laughs> Bing! How will you know you're free? You'll travel lighter throughout your days. Yeah? That's the proof. If you need any proof. To me, it's like an unspoken yes, but if you're looking for proof, the proof will be in the pudding. The proof will be where the rubber meets the road. You'll travel lighter through the consequences of this life. Yeah? On a consistent basis. Not only when you're doing good or when you're feeling good, it won't be based on feeling anymore. Yeah? It won't be based on achievement. It won't be, oh, I feel so good, I got so much done today. Yeah? You can may feel good when you get so much done, but you can also feel totally okay when you're not getting anything done. Yeah? Because inherently, what you are is the source of your happiness. Not what you do and have, but what you are is the source of your happiness, and the happiness being absent is because of what you're not. When you're identified with what you're not, you're not going to be happy. You may be happy, but it'll be fleeting, yes? You'll get everything that you thought represented happiness, and you'll probably be bored of it in five minutes, and you'll start looking for something else. Always, always, always. It's an incessant, like, hamster cage of, of uh, slavery. Yeah? But to me, if the sense of being is just that, it's not wasing, and it's not willing, it's being, and the being is complete in and of itself. Yeah? It's not here to achieve anything or to find a, a crescendo or, or a, a culmination. It's here to express, basically. Yeah? Myriads, myriads of possibilities. But it's not here to complete anything. Yeah? So to me, that would be the basis of real rest, is when something is not agitated to try to become something. Yeah? or unbecome what it thinks it is, which I believe is the movement of selfing. Selfing is a trying to become something or unbecome something it thinks it is. You're never anything to unbecome, and you're never going to become anything. Yeah? But you're never anything to unbecome. That's the whole slinky move of the mind. Yeah, it has, You have this assumption that you're a loser, so you want to unbecome that, and therefore you think you're going to become a winner, which will negate the loser, but you'll always lose when you become the winner. <laughs> you'll be living under the fear. What happens if I lose? I'm a loser again. Yeah? You can't escape it. Self can't get out of self. That's the greatest news of all. If you, when you get that, when that self can't get out of self, and you can then a sincere stopping occurs, a real sincere stopping, not like a manipulated one, if I stop, everything will be great. But no, something just stops. In that sincere stopping, man, there's a whole lot going on. Or like in recovery, they talk about the pause. The pause, it says, you need to pause when agitated. In selfing, you're always agitated. Really? When is it that you're not agitated? I think you're always agitated, and you may go to some degrees that are lesser agitated or more agitated, but there's always an underlying anxiety, isn't there? So, if it says, when agitated, pause, why not stay in the pause? Because you're basically agitated all the time. <laughs> in the pause, the agitation isn't there, yes? Because the pause isn't a... a a moment in a time, it's like a timeless moment. It has a different quality to it. And you know it if you've experienced one in recovery or whatever, in life. It's, it's not a moment in time, but it's a timeless moment. It has a different flavor to it. And that flavor is your absence, really. 
the selfing isn't dominating at that moment, and there's the pause, which is the absence of self. Of course, the self arises and says, I'm the one who had the pause, but you can notice that. If you notice it, you'll start losing interest and not believing it so much. And you'll realize that whatever shows up, the mental process, in a conscious contact is going to occur, there's going to be conscious contact, and the mental process is going to rise up and try to claim it. That's what it does, yeah? So, let's say there's, a, there's an unbridled sense of conscious contact in the pause, the mental process is probably going to rise up when it kicks back on and go, hey, I had this incredible pause. Let me tell you the pause I had today. It must have lasted like six and a half minutes. It's the longest pause I ever had. Yeah? It's sort of like you caught an, you, you're talking about an imaginary fish you caught. You know, but you, you haven't been fishing at all. You weren't even there. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. It was your absence that is the sense of that freedom. And that's the, that's the one admission you have to pay. If you're hell-bent on being there when it gets good, it's probably not going to get good. Or it's not going to stay good. <laughs> because you are too volatile. Selfing is way too volatile. It's too agitated. It's very, it's, its sense of, of stability is very unstable. It's always affected by circumstances and situations. And it's affected by circumstances and situations that aren't happening. Ones you're thinking about in the past and the future. So the test tube is constantly being shook up. You're constantly agitated. And if you, you, if you believe that having an agitated mind when it meets peace of mind is going to be able to enjoy it, good luck, it ain't. Yeah? It's going to agitate right over it. Yeah? If it met peace of mind, it would go, what ha- will I be like this tomorrow? There it is. It's already the loss of peace of mind. So I like the idea of seeing what you're not, telling the truth about it, because you can't tell the truth about what you are. It's impossible. It's indescribable. There's no way you could put any kind of name or any frame around it, because it's not really of this place. It's not knowable. It's not seeable. It's not something that can be added onto, nor subtracted from. Like Buddha attempted to say it in some ways, it says it's neither existence nor non-existence. It's neither birth nor death. Yeah? It's neither of the two polarities of duality. It's neither of them. Yeah? So what am I left to see or to know what I'm not? Yeah? If I can know what I'm not, then... If I know what I'm not, it's the knowing of that or the seeing of that, that's what I am. That's as close as I can get to it. The seeing of what I'm not is basically what I am. Yeah? And as long as you're alive, there'll be seeing. If you want, I don't mean visual seeing, I mean mind or awareness or consciousness. As long as you're alive, the only reason why you're alive is there's conscious contact. Once the conscious contact is gone, you're not alive. Yeah? I don't believe your eye is seeing anything. I believe it facilitates seeing, and I believe that what's seeing is mind or awareness or consciousness. Yeah? If that, it seems to leave this apparatus, it can't leave it, it just seems to leave it. When it leaves the apparatus, the apparatus isn't seeing the damn thing anymore. No matter how many important engagements you have to keep the next day, you're never going to meet that next day. <laughs> it's kaput. It's over. Yeah? 
<laughs> but here's conscious contact, and there's the mental process. Why not entertain, maybe start from the conscious contact instead of the mental processes? Take them. Yeah? Like Buddha also said, when you see, see. When you hear, hear. When you feel, feel. When you taste, taste. When you touch, touch. That's beautiful in a sense, yeah? Because watch what happens when the mental process claims the seeing, the hearing, feeling, tasting. Now the emphasis isn't on the seeing, is it? It's on the seer and the seeing. Yeah. It's not on the hearing, it's on the hearer and the heard. It's not on the feeling, it's on the feeler and the felt, isn't it? You've got to see it, man. It's a haste. The mental process has hijacked life and made a story about it. So that your attention and interest is in this dungeon of mental realm where it's just going from the past to the future to the future to the past. It can't get out. Self can't get out of self. Yeah. And actually, one of the biggest forms of being in self is the drive to get out of it. Yeah. All the maps you buy never lead you out of it. All the, the, the pseudo-faux exit signs, they just lead you to another edition of self. You can't get out of self as a self. <laughs> what would happen if you're not a self? That would be the experience of getting out of it. Yeah. It saves you so much time. Seriously. I mean, what better way to get out of a problem than to realize it's imaginary? Seriously. I mean, like I did this thing and it was on Facebook. Some lady used a quote of mine. I, I forgot about it, but I said, the only way you can be lost is if you're going somewhere. <laughs> if you're not going anywhere, you're not lost. <laughs> it's only when you're going somewhere you're lost. <laughs> You don't see the quality of timelessness? I love it. It's like a fucking cold night. just cuts the whole thing off quickly. Super quickly. It doesn't take any time. Just like when you realize what's not happening. It's not happening. What more do you need to do? Yeah? What's your attention going to do if it's totally dwelling in what's not happening? If the mind itself realizes it's not happening, the attention is going to be dismissed from that. Yeah? It's going to come to what? What's happening. Yeah? And that's when you're going to feel like you're enriched in your life. You're what brings the enrichment in your life. Your participation. Yeah? And everything that's been brought when we're obsessed in the mental realm, you're also participating in that. Like in physics, the biggest influence of any, any experiment is the observer of it. The biggest influence in this place is you. And if the you is contrived and made up, then you've given over that power to give meaning to things, to the self-centeredness. And now you're reacting to the meaning self-centeredness gives your life. And usually the reactions provoke what? Anxiety, concerns about imaginary times, reminiscing about something that probably never even happened. Yes? <laughs> Basically, all these mental pursuits, just to sort of distract yourself from the invitation of this moment. Why? Because that thing you're not can't take this invitation. It doesn't want to be here. It can take all the invitations from the past and the future. It cannot show up for this one. What you are shows up for this one. It doesn't even show up for this one. It's always been here. Yeah? So the last thing the mental process wants to do is be here. Yeah? 
That's the last place it wants to show up. Because it can't. It can only show up in time. Yeah? That's its realm. That's where it plays God. It plays God. You become the center of the universe. You, self-centered. All the planets revolve around you as the imaginary sun. And all your light is, is heisted from the true light. Yeah? So you're like a guilty moon. <laughs> it's all fake shining. If anyone stares at you long enough, fuck it. <laughs> You'd see right through it. So what it does, what does it do here? It uses this one movement I like to capture with the word my. So here's a bottle. Everyone sees a bottle. Right? Now, my mind sees the bottle, but my mental process goes, it's my bottle. So now the bottle's used to indicate the owner of the bottle. Yeah? There's a problem. Many people like see that I have a problem. But what happens with my mental process claiming? It's my problem. Now, the bigger problem is my, me. Yeah? I'll have, I'll have 800 problems, let's say, in one life, but there'll only be one me who had them all. I'd say that's the bigger problem. Yeah. So you see, feeling, my feeling, the feeling now is used to point to you. Thought, my thought, it's used to point to you. Money, my money, it's used to point to you, to an imaginary you. So in Buddhism, in Zen, they say, there's the finger pointing at the moon. Don't mistake the finger as the moon. That's all we do. The mental process claims everything that happens here. Situations, thoughts, feelings, events, problems, this and that, wins, losses, and makes them mine. And then they're used to infer or imply a vague sense of being you. The doer, the haver, the inherent existing one who's very unique. No one has the same thoughts as I do or feelings or reactions to life. I'm terminally drenched in uniqueness. Yes? And there I am in the incredible bondage of a self. Okay. Crying out for fucking help, yet not being willing to receive it. Yeah. Because every time someone gives you a suggestion, it doesn't fit your suggestion. <laughs> and so you say, I'd rather do my suggestion. Yeah, there you go. Imagine you could just spend one day that you showed up for everything because you realized you couldn't not show up for everything. Every move, every seat assignment, you recognize you're in that seat assignment when you are in the seat assignment and you just responded in kind. Yeah? How many thoughts would you need throughout the day? Not many. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm a house painter when I used to work. And so if they say you have 70,000 thoughts a day, to do my job, I may need like 14 thoughts, you know. It's not a very thoughtful job, you know. I'm never, usually, I'm not caught by any surprise. There's usually a ceiling and four walls, you know what I mean? I got it, I know that. But what are the other thoughts doing all day? What are they doing? They're not actually here to do anything now, but they're reinforcing, I would say, a form of slavery, yeah? When I'm listening to them, I mean, we all hear them, but when I'm listening to them, when there's a keen interest in the thoughts because they're about me or mine, when that, when that 
that movement from conscious contact, which is hearing the thoughts, into an unconscious contact, which is listening to the thoughts, with the idea that you're the thinker of them or they're about you, that's not hearing the thoughts anymore. That's unconscious. You're unconscious to the fact of what you are. You've now assumed you're the thinker of the thought. That's a big, 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 big mistake. Yeah. So there you are. You're in that position. Those thoughts are reinforcing that identification all day. You're listening to K-Paul all day, and you're just pretty much out to lunch. Yeah. Your, your biggest stable point is a huge assumption. It's like a house built on sand. It's always shifting, yeah? Because maybe if you're based on conditions, maybe if things are going well, you feel good. If they're not, you feel bad, yeah? Maybe you have a negative outlook, so even when it's good, you feel bad. <laughs> changed at that time, because I had heard it before, and I understood it intellectually, but then something happened, you know, I like to call it a movement of grace, where it went past the point of intellect, and went into my gut, you know, not my physical gut, and it became like an unspoken yes, and it's been like the northern star in my life now, I tell everything else from that position. It's like an absolute. And it became the last answer. I haven't had a new one since. And I'm not looking for any answers. Yeah? And it's going on pretty a lot of years now. And it keeps, I'm still enthused as hell about it. Yeah? Because it's sort of like uh, that marathon guy got let loose out of that closet and now is, this is an unbelievable uh, possibility to entertain. Yeah? It's unlimited. The sky is the limit. You're not going to come to an end in entertaining it. More gets revealed. So after, I believe you know the problem from the solution. I really do. So in recovery we say the problem is obsession with self. But then I believe it's actually identification as self. But you'll know that by the solution. When the identification of self is broken, you'll know that was the problem. You really will. They were on the money. They knew what was happening. They, I, didn't think, I don't think they just got specific enough, but they knew what was happening. It wasn't all the drinking. It wasn't all the uh, past events in their lives. It was just an excessive obsession with self. Yeah? Like a never-ending fire that never gets satiated. It demands more logs all the time. Yes, and it doesn't even warm you, it burns you. Yeah. So. This idea matches the program pretty good for me, the program of recovery. Program of recovery uh, quieted, quieted the, uh, the alcoholism, subdued it, to a point where the problem doesn't exist for me anymore, and therefore the problem doesn't exist as me anymore. And I love that lifestyle because it provides 
ample opportunity to get out of self. It provides, I think, for some people, service is a necessity. It provides a lot of service, opportunities to do service. And it treats the peculiar bent of an alcoholic mind in a very supremely fine way. The principles are really sound, you know? And so once that's subdued, then the mind can start entertaining, yeah? But I've seen people who try to become Buddhists to get over alcoholism, and now they're alcoholic Buddhists, you know? I swear to God, I've seen it a lot of times. I don't know what it is, but I think there's a, a really nice prepackaged deal that works, which is the 12 steps of recovery, I really do, when it comes to alcoholism. And when the alcoholism is arrested and dealt with, and then the mind can be freed from entertaining that and start entertaining all of this, you know? And the same attention that's driving you crazy at night will be enriching your life. farther than the thought system. Your attention will not stop at the thought system. It will go back what's prior to the thought system, which is mind, you know. And then that's the sense of presence. Or like the loudness of silence, you know what I mean? Or whatever you want to say. There's just a lot going on where it looks like nothing's going on. There's a whole lot of happening going on in just in the crackling of consciousness, you know. And it seems to be, it's sort of like a flame that can hold the mind's attention. Yeah? Because it's so unbelievably uh, magnificent in its emptiness, I think it captures the mind's attention sufficiently to break the, uh, the habitual enslavement to the idea of being a self. Yeah? It's a sufficient psychic change that now you have immunity to alcoholism. And a lot of other forms of mental winds, you know. You have immunity. You're not open for business. You're not being taken over by different moods all day. Something has taken you over that's, I would say, the power of all powers, yeah. You have immunity to the other takeovers. But you see it. You never seen, like, I talked to these people today at this halfway house, and they said, they're in a 20-day... 28-day program, so I said, what's the most important day? And they all had the great answers. They said, today, you know. I go, yeah, but actually, it's the 29th day. When you leave the facility, what are you going to do? Because that's what happened with me. I left Delancey Street after two years, and I didn't go to AA. I didn't even know about AA, which is so crazy. I probably needed it more than almost anyone I knew, but I had no idea about AA. And I was left to my own devices, and I was easily taken over, you know. This opportunity, the parasite just got me got on me like a jockey and just rode me for ten more months. You know, but for me, to, it's the uh, this power that's greater than self can keep the power of self in its place. You know, it's a much lesser power than this. But when you give all your power to self, then it has a lot of power. And how how do I give it? I identify as it. Yeah. 
I become identified with what I'm not, and I basically give all my God juice to it, and it uses this God juice, this possibility to play God with. And you seem to be the beneficiary of that, playing God, aren't you? Yeah. You can't, I know people, they have a thought, and they can't, their attention cannot pull away from it. One thought can change the direction of their day. One thought. It's like a tractor beam. They're so identified as the thinker or the object of the thought, they can't, their attention just gets swept away wherever that thought system wants to go. Yeah? They don't, they're not stabilized. They're not established in a position of reliance on something greater than self. They're not secure in the reliance on a, on a reliable system. They're still apt to be taken over by the unreliability of being in, identified as a self. So everything can buffet them, and, and you know, they're constantly seemingly under attack by thoughts and feelings and like that. It's sort of like, you know, the, the mental processes has, uh, can generate the feeling of fear right through mental anxiety. You know? If you had adrenaline pumping through you like 30 times a day, at one time I was swimming and I saw a shark in Australia. Yeah? And I started swimming away. It was the weirdest thing. You ever have those dreams where you really need to move fast but you feel like you're in molasses? Well, that happened in this dream. <laughs> I tried to swim, I wasn't going anywhere. And I saw this fin going like this, yeah, about 12 feet from me. And I just kept, just went, you know, back. I said, I'll give him my bad leg. I figured that. Look at this. Take this. I don't care. So I was swimming and I got on the shore and I was drenched in adrenaline. People are living in that drenching of adrenaline like 20 times a day through mental anxiety. You know what that what that's doing to the physical system, the nervous system, everything? You're like electroshocked out. You know? <gasps> All day. Wonderful. They don't like no. <laughs> it's incredible, isn't it? Really, you're getting shocked. It's like someone has a buzzer beep, beep, you know, like some some fucking sadistic beep. And your reaction, there's no break. You immediately react. Why is that? I would say it's identification as self. Being, being the, the feel, the, the, that feeling of being the thinker or being the objects of the thoughts opens you up to all of that, all of its influence. I think people are just shocked out. And then after a while, the mental condition becomes neurotic, doesn't it? It's been running after its own tail for so long, it starts eating itself, doesn't it? Jesus Christ. People get some strange, they get into some strange places up there. Really. I used to, you know, I'd be amazed what would happen. I'd say goodnight to some friends, and I didn't know what they did for the next hours. <laughs> they were fucking going, they doing some insane shit. You know, I went home and slept. They were getting arrested in Dempsey dumpsters and fucking... <laughs> their minds were... And they looked pretty okay, but there was this little hook, and once it started, they had no immunity to it. Yeah? You can't be based on feelings and thoughts. You have to be committed to something. Actually, to me, nothing. To no thing. Yeah? To have the absoluteness of faith mind and entertain that, you know what? I'm not this. I am not the object of these thoughts. And nor am I the doer of them. I am neither the one who's feeling, yeah, 
No, it's only need that one. I'm neither. I'm not the one who's feeling. Yeah? Does that mean there's no feelings? Of course, there's tons of feelings, but I'm not the one who's feeling them. Because if I'm the one who's feeling them, that one gives more meaning to the feeling than the feeling ever brought to me. Selfing just represents a lot of conditional meanings, really, tons of them. You can notice it when you, let's say you get introduced to a thing you never did before. Like when I was 17, 18, I got introduced to spirituality with an Indian guru, yeah, Indian teacher. And I, had been, I grew up a Catholic and then whatever, I never did anything like that. But as soon as I got involved in that movement, thousands of ideas about what it means to be a spiritual seeker, what it means to be a guru. I had thoughts, I had so many fucking ideas that immediately started downloading about spirituality. Where the hell did they come from? I hadn't been spiritual, I hadn't met any gurus in this life, but as soon as I met the guru, tons of meanings, what he should be like, what I should be like, you know? Unbelievable, this is what happens, yeah? As soon as Paul represents the one who's doing something or has something, that Paul represents tons of old ideas that are going to download into that activity, be it a relationship, be it an employment situation, being in a health condition, being in a hair condition, wherever it is, it's going to be the, that, the mind, the conditional mind is going to download tons of thoughts and opinions and ideas and judgments about that. And you're going to be living through that fucking deluge. Yeah, with no raincoat. You're just going to get soaked with all that shit. And you're going to want relief. Yeah? And you can only act like you're okay for so fucking long until you flip out, right? <laughs> and you get loaded or do something, you know, go home and watch porno or whatever. Trying to soothe an imaginary uh, disease. I don't know. There is really, there is a solution. It's available. Yeah? Not for you, but really as you. Yeah? <laughs> and remember rule 62 don't take yourself so seriously the most serious you can take yourself is call it you <laughs> that's it that's the highest level of seriousness man that's so past obsession it's mind boggling <laughs> you know <laughs> we're starting on we're, most of the day we're starting from an extreme super turbo obsession called identification as, you know? We, we can have tons of obsessions every year, it doesn't, like, but the identification is the supreme one. It's so, so supreme you don't even know it's in place. Yeah? Who would have thought the way you feel isn't the way you feel? Who would have thought that? I couldn't come up with it. I had to hear it, you know, from an outside source. And thank God I had the opportunity to hear it. Because once I did hear it, I could chew on it, and I entertained it, and it became so. But before that, I couldn't see. I took this to be so. There was no question about it, you know. Needed some minor repair, construction, you know what I mean? Usually based on getting rid of a lot of people that I knew. <laughs> I'd be great without you around. But the fact is, I never questioned its reality. 
and therefore I lived it. I lived this mental reality here. I remember when it started to happen. I was a little kid. Everything was pretty cool. We had pictures, you know, with the family. I had three, two, uh, two sisters and a brother, my mother and father, my grandmother. And we'd have pictures, and everyone looked really great and shiny. I looked like a little cherub. And then a couple of years up the ass itself, there'd be pictures of the family, and it was like, you could see me. It looked like I was pasted in, because I had this separation. And I was looking at my mother suspiciously, like, who is this person? I was just so fucking weirded out. And it just went way, 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 way out, you know, way in. Then my, my mother and my father and my grandmother died in a... Totally. That was like a tsunami. I just, my, my apparatus couldn't deal with it. And I remember I had a nun when it happened. I was in fourth grade. Sister Marie Neal. And I would sit here, and if she was back where you were, and I'd sit right in front of her. And I, had a, I was out of school for a while, because they died close, my grandmother and father, right? So I was out of school. So when I came back in, I was in the same seat, but now I was miles away. I see Sister Marie Neal. I was so up the ass to self. It was unbelievable. The only counsel I took was this. Yeah, I didn't trust anyone other than this. And I'll tell you, I pledge allegiance to it every day. And all it did was provoke more addictions to try to get relief from it. But you can't get relief from it as it. You know, that was the dilemma. I couldn't get relief from it as it. I had to realize I'm not it, and then I could get relief from it. Yeah, But you can't get relief from it as it. It comes with you wherever you go. So, any questions tonight? The news is great, I'm telling you. Imagine if you sat here and instead of thinking you're bored and nothing's going on, you sense the presence of all there is. Yeah? So before, years ago, you would think this is boring as hell sitting here, and now you're just very content and, and satisfied. What's that? Is, is this a special chair? No. My ass, you know, got better? No. It's just a mind change. That's all. Just a simple difference in calibration. Yeah. So.